Support for IPR comes from Orchestra Iowa, presenting Pops on the River, an outdoor concert experience with songs from the Eagles featuring the Seven Bridges Band and the entire symphony. June 1st at McGrath Amphitheater. Tickets at orchestraiowa.com. This is Iowa Week, and school is in session. All week long, we're focusing on our K-12 public schools. Today, we're asking, who calls the shots? Iowa has long been known as a local control state when it comes to schools. That has meant that much of the decision-making power in local districts has been the responsibility of nonpartisan elected school boards. In the last couple of years, there have been some new state laws that have taken precedence over local school districts and school boards. But school boards are still a very important part of the decision-making process, and they have been seeing a lot of action. This hour, I'll talk with a researcher who's trying to understand how the pandemic has impacted the work of school boards. I'll talk with two people who've been serving on school boards and an attorney who has experience representing parents who disagree with school board decisions and choose to take their districts to court. But first, IPR's education reporter Grant Gerlach is back again today. He has attended a lot of school board meetings in the past few years. Grant, welcome. Hi, good to be here. So uh, let's go back to the beginning of the pandemic, because, of course, when COVID struck, all the sudden school boards were tasked with making decisions that I'm sure the people elected to school boards had never imagined they would be tasked with. And this was a really fraught moment. Yeah, they had a lot to grapple with. Uh, They had to some of these meetings went on for hours at times because they would talk about, uh, you know, what are the numbers here? Um, They'd be talking to local public health people, talking amongst themselves, you know, how should we interpret this information? How should we decide whether we're uh, in person or all remote or somewhere in between? Um, And yeah, they they are not public health uh, people by training for the most part. So, um, So they had a lot to think about especially in the early days of the pandemic. And what added to it was that at the time, um, the the way the state was um, uh, putting rules on schools about whether they could be all remote or whether they had to be partially in person as things got started. So they also had to think about how their actions would impact um, the school in the eyes of the state at the time. Right. So in that, that spring of 2020, of course, everything pretty much shut down. Um, but as school boards and school districts were making plans to come back in the fall of 2020, that's when things really started to get controversial as districts made their decisions and made plans. And then uh, Governor Reynolds made a proclamation that stated that a lot of those plans were out of line with new state law. So That local control idea is at the heart of a lot of the controversy that we've seen over the past couple of years, right? Yeah, when it comes to school openings, uh, when it comes to the mask issue, um, and it's a long list of things that followed after that, local control is a big part of what's at the core of all of those debates. Who has decision-making power over how a school is run, over how a classroom is run, or how a library is run? Is it a parent? Is it a teacher? Is it the school board? Is it a state agency? Is it the legislature? Not all of those kinds of disagreements are new. Um, Transgender student policies are something that has come up, and it's a local control issue. Those aren't all new debates around transgender students. But whether it's it's that or um, 
uh, masking or or in-person classes. It was all kind of supercharged during the pandemic. Absolutely. And it was interesting to watch that at a time when schools were dealing with COVID and and dealing with unprecedented challenges, that the challenges seemed to continue to grow. I think about the uh, so-called divisive um, concepts law. Of course, the the state government in Iowa has long been able to create priorities for schools to say, you know, this needs to be taught. These uh, classes need to be offered. Students need to take these classes to graduate. But this was a, a different kind of law that actually said, OK, you're not allowed to teach these specific things. So, again, I mean, it feels like there has been a shift in how state law impacts the decision-making abilities of districts in Iowa. Yeah, and there was, it was a very busy time with that topic and uh, mask requirements. A lot of those were piling on top of each other um, in in 2021 in particular, where they had to – schools had to figure out how are we going to respond to these state laws. Um, and, and it varied in a lot of ways. Uh, sometimes they just kind of tweaked language in policies, and even that could become a fraught debate. Some schools – decided, well, I mean, we we don't think we're doing anything wrong, so we're just going to do what we've been doing and and hope that we don't end up crosswise against these laws that have passed. But it, it did become a, a situation where school boards had to um, re-examine things they were doing just out of concern that what they were doing might might violate what the state is expecting after these things change. Absolutely. So now part of your job has been to attend a lot of school board meetings. And one of the the strange things that happened during the pandemic is that you could attend all of these school board meetings in districts all over the state of Iowa. You could watch more than one at the same time. (laughs) I'll bet you did. I'll bet you did. So from the relative comfort of uh, your own home, that kind of access for school boards, I mean, people don't historically love to go to school board meetings. This is something that is used, it used to be considered to be something that was fairly boring um, and pretty routine in a lot of cases. But now everybody could go to their school board meeting or, or put it on uh, their computer and interact, right? Yeah. In, in a lot of cases, some of those uh, changes have stayed in place, at least in terms of streaming school board meetings and making it easier to watch. But especially in the height of the pandemic, uh, a lot of the meetings were run entirely remotely. And that made it a lot easier for people to participate. You know, they could queue up on Zoom or on Teams or whatever platform their district was using. And it made it easier for them to add their voice to the the, the people who were commenting on the decision on masking or, or whatever it was. Um, so it did add to... Uh, the ability for people to just see what was going on, to comment on what was going on, and just participate in their school board in ways that they probably didn't before. And of course, you were assigned to to look at these school board meetings uh, because of the pandemic, because uh, you know these school boards were making such incredibly important decisions about the health and safety of their community and also the quality of education uh, under all of those constraints. Can you give me an idea of what you started to see as things started to heat up and these school board meetings uh, really became points of incredible conflict in some districts? Yeah, I think um, when it really 
when it really got hot was in the fall of 2021. So leading up to this point, uh, there had been a state law passed that um, barred schools from issuing mask mandates. And then there was a court case challenging that law, and it ended up um, being um, uh, blocked through a, a court injunction. And then that put districts in the really precarious position of what will you do now? Will you do what the state law had said you should do? Or will you um, make a different decision? And those meetings got very hot, uh, especially in, in a few different places um, where you know the masking was always a very polarizing issue or became a polarizing issue. Uh, and, and it really took off in, in meetings around those decisions. Now that the, this law is not in place, uh, it was at a, a very precarious time in the pandemic as well because kids couldn't be vaccinated yet. Um, what will schools do? And so especially in, in places like Ankeny and Johnston, those became um, very heated school board meetings in ways that that really hadn't been in the past. Right. And just as the uh, subjects that state government started getting involved in in local schools and, and their decision-making process expanded, so did the topics that were coming up at these heated school board meetings. And you mentioned both Ankeny and Johnston. These are both communities where um, there have been book challenges. There have been their controversy or there was controversy in Johnston over a teacher in the district who had a pride flag in his classroom and also Black Lives Matter flag in his classroom and uh, parents getting upset and bringing that to the school board. So we started to see, I mean, in some some ways, in many ways, in fact, that these school board meetings uh, feel like a, a flashpoint in what we're calling the culture wars right now. Right. It didn't end at issues with the coronavirus. Um, the book challenges um, as we already mentioned, how schools teach diversity, equity, uh, race issues, those those all also kind of spun out of of the the heated debates that were happening at school board meetings, um, and some of the um, some of those issues carried on after this period in the fall of 2021. It was um, it was later. It was in November of that year where. Johnston was having a meeting where they were talking about uh, books that were challenged by some parents, and a couple state senators came to that meeting, and that's where they uh, said they were going to propose a change in law that would criminalize uh, giving students books that have explicit material in them. So these things just kind of kept rolling through, especially in that period of time, just one issue after another rolling over these school boards. All right. So right now it feels like we're in a a bit of a calmer period. Um, we've been talking all week about schools. Tomorrow, we're going to talk about staff shortages, teacher shortages. This is something that almost every district in the state is facing. And yet, it feels like school board meetings have been a little calmer this fall. Does that reflect reality? Yes, I, they have been calmer. Um, I wouldn't say that these issues have really gone away, though. I think they're they're sort of present in the in the just sort of the political environment at this point. And I, I just feel like it's primed at, at any point, um, depending on what comes up and is 
what comes up in a specific place at a specific time, it could really um, erupt again. IPR's education reporter Grant Gerlach. Grant, thank you so much. You're welcome. Coming up in just a moment, I'll talk to a researcher who has been taking a look at how the pandemic has changed things for people on local school boards, including the nationalization of local politics. We'll find out more about that. And then later on, I'll talk with two different people who have served on school boards about their experiences. Support for IPR comes from Orchestra Iowa. Presenting Pops on the River, an outdoor concert experience with songs from the Eagles featuring the Seven Bridges Band and the entire symphony. June 1st at McGrath Amphitheater. Tickets at orchestraiowa.com. This season, Garden Variety wants to help you flourish. Each week, our favorite horticulturists drop by with fresh tips. Subscribe and dig in. Head to ipr.org garden or find Garden Variety wherever you get your podcasts. This is Iowa Week, and school is in session. All week long, we're focusing on our K-12 public schools, and today we're asking, who calls the shots? Which is a question that a lot of people have been asking about their public schools. We've been talking about the shifting role of state government in Iowa schools and school boards so far this hour. In a few minutes, we'll hear from two people who've served on school boards and an attorney who has experience representing parents who disagree with school board decisions and choose to take their districts to court. With me right now is Megan Goldberg. She is an assistant professor of American politics at Cornell College, and she and her collaborator, Karen Kitchens, have set out to understand the impacts of the pandemic on local school boards in a variety of ways. Hello, Megan. Hi, Charity. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you so much for being here. And I mean, studying politics, school boards are elected positions, but they have historically been nonpartisan here in Iowa. They are supposed to be nonpartisan and volunteer. So this is an area of elected office that I can imagine not a great deal of research has been done on. Yeah, so there is a really interesting body of literature on this. um, And looking at sort of the impact of decisions, it's mostly an education policy. Um, Political science interest in school boards has really been focused on understanding how elected offices at different times affects decisions, affects who serves, um, and how having nonpartisan elections can affect how voters think about issues and sort of who gets elected and who's powerful in elections. So my collaborator, Karen Kitchens, and I, she studies school boards. This is like her bread and butter. Um, She's an excellent education policy scholar. And my interest is mostly in nationalization of politics and its interaction with partisanship and because so many local and sometimes even state offices are nonpartisan, how it interacts with nonpartisan offices. So in the summer of 2020, when we were all sort of still in really intense sort of pandemic quarantine at home mode, um, she reached out and had this idea to look at how the pandemic and the nationalization as things were sort of getting heated, how that was affecting school boards. Um, and so that's how we sort of got into this um, area. It's really an intersection of our two research interests. All right. So in, in trying to understand what's going on with school boards, you cast a fairly wide net looking at 13 different states. Yes, exactly. We wanted to sort of get a picture in a lot of different areas, what was going on. We have a mix of states that are sort of thought of as red states, purple states, blue states, um, states that have very few school districts in them, states that have a lot of school districts. Um, 
And so really just trying to cast a wide net and get a sort of diverse perspective on how school boards are doing. All right. And of course, we're most interested in Iowa exactly. today. And <laughs> I, Iowa is one of the states that um, you did research. You also focus a lot of your research on the nationalization of local or state politics. And uh, this plays into these school board issues because there has been national organization done to encourage people to go to their school board meetings, to speak out on specific issues, to run for school board. Tell me more about that. Yeah. So um, our the two sort of main things uh, we've done to collect data are a survey of school board members nation- na- nationwide in those 13 states. Uh, and then we've done a lot of interviews with them. We basically asked anyone who took our survey, we said, would you be willing to talk to us more? And we didn't think anyone would say yes. We had almost 200 school board members say yes. In the end, I think we conducted over 50 interviews. Um, and what was striking, you know, as is, is my collaborator and I would sort of come back and talk about these interviews, um, is that we would interview someone from California and the next day someone from Iowa. And and we would hear sort of very similar things. Um, they had different experiences with the state, but overwhelmingly school board members were extremely overwhelmed. Uh, and this is in the summer of 2021. So at this point, they spent a summer and an academic year and another summer dealing with pandemic-related issues. And this is sort of the beginning of all of this other sort of culture war um, books and other issues. Um, and so what we we heard overall is, A, the same sort of issues are coming up everywhere. It's the same sort of language everyone is using around masking. Um, So instead of these, like, idiosyncratic, like, local debates over what's going on in the schools, it was driven really by a lot of national coverage of these issues. And so we would hear sort of the similar themes from all of these different school board members, even though they're in totally different states on opposite ends of the country. And not just national coverage, but groups organizing, interest groups organizing. Yeah, exactly. And so that's what in the interviews we were sort of starting to hear a little bit about not just the pandemic, but all of these other issues, too. Um, And so you would hear school board members in our interviews, if we would get sort of off topic and talk about books, um, that the same books were being raised in one state and another state. And it's because, um, you know, social media can connect us in all sorts of ways. And, um, you know, there are these groups that would share resources on what books you might challenge. But the same thing was happening during the pandemic, that they were sharing, you know, the same sort Courses that you could take to your school board, the same sort of arguments and language you could take um, to go talk to your school board about masking. So I have a personal theory, uh, and, and <laughs> you can tell me if I'm, I'm right or wrong, or even if this is something that you know. Uh, people, uh, my theory is that people are more likely to run for school board if they're unhappy with their schools, as opposed to people who are very happy with their public schools. Is that something that you found that people were more motivated by wanting to create change? Yeah. So I think that um, that is most of what we heard in interviews. When we asked people about their motivations, um, you know, we sort of gave them a list of, of options um, that we borrowed from surveys that have been done in the past. And so a lot of it is like, we just really want to improve the schools. Um, and sort of in talking to people about the experiences that led them to run, um, you know, sometimes it's teachers uh, or administrators who had an experience in their own school district and they're like, I can't do anything about this as a teacher, so I'm going to run for school board. Um, sometimes it was parents. 
Um, and that was certainly the case. And one of the things we're still in the process of studying because these elections are still happening um, is trying to figure out how much of uh, in 2021 and in 2022, how much of these school board races are motivated um, by folks who were unhappy with either the curriculum now is sort of the main issue, um, but in 2021, how unhappy they were with how their school districts were handling the pandemic. School board positions in Iowa are volunteer-based. People don't get paid to be on the school board and have historically been nonpartisan or are considered to be nonpartisan. People don't run with a party affiliation, even though they probably have a party affiliation. Um <laughs> The responsibilities of school board members, of course, increased dramatically during the pandemic. What did you hear from people who were on school boards before the pandemic struck about the workload and their responsibilities and how that shifted? Yeah. So we uh, in our survey, we asked people how much time they spent. And on average, they're spending about seven to 14 hours a month on the school board, which is reasonable, right? This right. is a volunteer position. You're not getting paid for it. Um, but I think we had like almost 90 percent of school board members said that they were more stressed and their workload increased as part of the pandemic. There were in, and there were some school boards, you know, in California, if it's sort of like a mainstream Democratic heavy district, um, they were like, yeah, this didn't affect our workload at all because we just did what the state told us. We agreed with the state. Everything was fine. Um, but in districts that either are sort of more competitive and more evenly split along party lines, um, you know, they were the ones dealing with very intense school board meetings. Um, and, you know, I talked to one member who is a stay-at-home mom, so she could spend more time. And she said she was spending 40 to 50 hours a week on wow. school board work and basically taking some of the workload from her fellow members. And it was just answering emails. And so the other sort of consistent thing we heard was members receiving, I mean, hundreds of emails a week from parents who were concerned. Wow. This has also been an elected office where usually people don't spend a whole lot of money on campaigning. Um, have we seen a shift in that? Is this now a position where you have to do a significant amount of fundraising to run for school board? So I think this is a place where we have a ton of diversity, um, even in Iowa, that we saw in the 2021 cycle. We saw an increase in funding, but just in some races. Um, and so there's been really good sort of media coverage of, of those races and organized groups who are working in school districts. But like the modal answer for campaign finance is either they spent zero dollars or they spent less than a thousand dollars um and that's still even in you know i'll talk about i live in mount vernon um even though we had a competitive race there was still like no one was spending money um but um one of the things we're tracking with actual election data is trying to look at whether or not there are more competitive seats in school board elections. And again, we're still collecting this because a lot of states are electing school boards this year. Um, but we're that's one of the things we're trying to track in our survey sort of provides a good baseline for that. Earlier this week, we talked about um, really the disconnect between what people know about what's going on in their school boards <laughs> and their school districts and how they feel about the public schools. And usually the more people know, the better they feel about their public schools. Who runs for school board? Like, do, are they people who have kids in the district or do they already have some sort of connection? Yeah. So most people who run for school board either have kids in the district who are school age or um, have kids who are no longer school age but are were once in the school district. So lots of retired people run because, it, like I said, it's a volunteer job and people who have spare time are retired people. Um, so it's mostly people. A lot of people bring um, – 
a teaching background or some background in education. But lots of folks are coming from, uh, you know, an experience they had as parents at one point. Let's talk about the responsibility of school boards, because uh, as I was just talking with Grant about in Iowa, uh, laws were made that really shifted or even, you could say, took away power from local school boards. What did you hear about people uh, and their feelings about that shift? Yeah, so we asked some questions on our survey, um, just basic to get numbers on uh, what's called state preemption, when the state comes in and takes over your policymaking capacity. So masking is was the most common area where school boards were preempted. So in Iowa, um, I mean, it was like 75% of the school board members in our sample um, were felt like they were preempted. Their school board policies were preempted by the state when it came to masking. I think we all remember that that May uh, law that was passed. Yes. Um, so, um, but then in the interviews, the theme that came out was that to school boards, local control is really, really important. Um, a lot of school board members take seriously the fact that this is an elected position. Um, and that they care about district preferences. Um, and when we asked, you know, what were things that the state did that were helpful or not helpful, taking away local control was one of the top things that they sort of mentioned, that taking away local control was not helpful for them because they wanted to be able to adapt to what their own district needed and wanted. So this is, again, it's supposed to be a nonpartisan position. Uh, We've talked a little bit about the nationalization of local politics. Are we also seeing school board elections becoming more partisan? Yeah. So, um, you know, I think nationalization and like partisan polarization go hand in hand in a lot of ways. And um, so I think that in elections, it's hard to say, because if it's not an actually a partisan election, most people don't know who's running, um, much less their par- their partisanship. Um, but what we did see is partisan behavior when we asked school board members about who they trust and who has influence. And so what we saw is that school board members are much more likely to trust state sources and trust guidelines from state sources if their partisanship aligns with the governor and the state legislature. So Democrats, if they have a Democratic governor, think that guidelines that come from the governor's office or any other state agency are more trustworthy. Um, And the same for Republicans. But if you're a Democratic member with a Republican state government, that trust is going to be lower and vice versa. Did you ask people about their party affiliation? Do we know if more Republicans run for school board in Iowa or more Democrats? So it's actually pretty evenly split. Um, We did ask about their party affiliation. And one thing that is sort of interesting that does pop out is we do see some polarization in school board members um, that there's it's like nationally a little bit more Democratic than Republican, um, but overwhelmingly, like not very many independents, and most of the people identify as strong partisans, which isn't that surprising if you're running for school board, you're probably interested in politics um, and like a high information person. And those people are already stronger partisans, but we see some polarization. All right, we have about 30 seconds left. What are you hoping, what questions are you hoping to answer as you? conduct this or conclude this research? Yeah. So one of the things we're looking forward to um, sort of figuring out is if this changes who is on school board, mem- who is on school boards. It matters who's on school boards for a lot of different policies at the local level. Um, and so we're trying to see if, if this is sort of resulting in a bunch of turnover because it's stressful, it's hard, and it's a volunteer gig. And so 
we're sort of interested just in the health um, of, of school boards and how they're doing as sort of local legislatures. Well, I hope you come back and tell us what you find. All right. Thanks, Charity. Megan Goldberg is an assistant professor of American politics at Cornell College. This hour, we've been talking about who calls the shots in public schools with a focus on school boards. But when parents feel like a school district is doing something that they believe is wrong, they do have another option, taking the district to court. Alan Ostergren was a longtime county prosecutor in Muscatine County, but in May of 2020, he left that role with a new mission to provide legal representation for conservative causes and to advance those causes through litigation, services often provided free of charge. He sued the the Ankeny School District over the mask mandate on behalf of Kimberly Reichs of Ankeny, and he's now involved in two suits against the Linmar District. He's suing on behalf of a group of parents who are trying to block the district's policy for transgender students and a Linmar parent who's been banned from school board meetings for a year after she was removed from a meeting by police in August. He can't comment on those active cases, of course. Alan, thank you so much for being here this morning. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. So the school-related cases you're a part of involve parents who've made complaints to their districts and school boards and who disagree with the outcome. We've all had an experience where we don't like decisions made by elected officials. Why litigate? Well, I think uh, the courts are one mechanism where parents can, if the facts support it, uh, make their voice heard in a different way. Uh, There are lots of ways Uh, but some uh, are more effective than others for parents to communicate their views to their local elected officials and to stand up for their rights for their kids. Obviously, electing local school board members is important and will continue to be important for parents to be engaged in that. But sometimes there are issues that that, uh, pop up that are not amenable to being resolved in the next election, but need court intervention. And so that's why we look to the courts for those, uh, those kinds of cases. You've talked about your work being similar to the work done by the ACLU with a focus, in your case, on conservative causes. Um, Right now, Iowa's a state with a Republican governor and a Republican majority in both houses of the state legislature. Do you feel like conservative Iowans are lacking a voice right now? Well, there's sometimes there's situations where, you know, court intervention is the only way to to really address the issue. And, you know, there is uh, Republican control at the state level in the legislature and the governor's office. And it looks like that will continue after this general election. Uh, But we're a a state that has lots of cities and counties and school boards that have different views and different membership and different issues. And so, uh, you know, litigation from a conservative perspective, which is not the same as a Republican perspective, uh, is an important part of making government work for everybody. Alan, I really thank you for your time this morning. Thank you. Alan Ostergren is an attorney who provides legal representation for conservative causes with the goal of advancing those causes through litigation. He's represented parents suing their districts in Ankeny and Linmar. Coming up next, I will talk with two people who have served on their local school boards, one who served through the pandemic and another who was inspired to run by conflict at the meetings of his local board during the pandemic. Iowa Public Radio has the cure for your endless scrolling. The IPR app. The latest news, your favorite music, fresh podcasts, they're all a tap or two away. With newscasts updating throughout the day, 
the latest stories every time you open the app, and live streams of your go-to station, you get only what you need to know when you need to know it. So stop the scroll. Get the IPR app. This is Iowa Week, and school is in session. All week long, we're focusing on our K-12 public schools, and today we're asking who runs the show. We've been talking about school boards, which were thrust into the spotlight in a new way because of the pandemic and COVID safety protocols. But the heat has not cooled. COVID protocols were followed by debates over curriculum and so-called divisive topics, followed by book challenges and debates over LGBTQ policies. We are going to close the hour today with... With conversations with two people who have run for and served on school boards. The first is Rob Barron. He's a former member of the Des Moines School Board, where he served from 2013 through 2021. He's also executive director of the Iowa and Minnesota Campus Compact and co-founder of the Latino Political Network. Rob, welcome. Thank you, Charity. It's a pleasure to be here. What made you want to run for school board? Oh, wow. Uh, we don't have enough time for all the reasons. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm I'm at the heart of it. I'm I'm really romantic about elected public service. I, I grew up in a household that valued it, that talked about good and bad examples of public service, and uh, I always kind of envisioned that it'd be something I'd, I'd like to do at some point in time. And um, when the time came, you know, it was the right person said the right thing at the right time and got my mind spinning. And I looked around and I realized on that board, there were folks that I thought I could represent that weren't represented at the time. Um, namely, I'm, I'm, I'm Latino and uh, in a district that's more than a quarter Latino enrollment, we never elected a Latino school board member. And my son uh, was only eight months old when I got elected. And that's a, it's a rarity to have parents of young children on school boards, and I wanted to bring that experience into the process as well. Shaping the, the school system that your son, he's now a fourth grader, right? That's right. Yes. Yes. And now I have a, I have a daughter who's a preschooler, so it, it, it's still coming. I'm still in. I'm in for the long game with Des Moines Public Schools. Right. So when you started serving on the school board, how much time did you invest, say, on a regular basis to that work? Oh, my. You know, it, it, it goes in ebbs and flows. Uh, there would certainly be periods of my life where it was in the, you know, tens of hours a week um, between school visits, answering emails, uh, talking to people, uh, of course, board meetings, which can be rather lengthy at times, uh, yeah, you know, there were some stretches where it was about equivalent to another full-time job. Uh, but then there would be stretches where, you know, especially in the summer, where it was really quiet and it would only be a couple hours a week, perhaps. Is there any compensation for people on the school board in Des Moines? Not in the state of Iowa, no. Uh, we are we are volunteers. All right. So when you started in 2013, I mean, there are always important issues going on in schools. But of course, uh, as time went on, you found yourself on the Des Moines School Board during some really difficult times talking about school resource officers. That's been an issue that's been very heated. But then, of course, came the pandemic and all of a sudden school boards were making really important, possibly life or, or death decisions about how to teach students 
students and how to maintain those connections with students and keep people safe. Tell me what that was like to suddenly uh, be in a position that I, I'm sure you never imagined. That's it. Exactly. I, I never imagined that. And, and um, I try to tell people, I mean, you, folks like me, we run for school board or city council or any office because we want to do things. You know, there's there's things that we want to add to the system, things we want to change. But one of the major reasons why you run for office is for moments like that when everything breaks and you need people who will step up and um, make the best decisions that they can. And, you know, for those two years, which were, you know, the end of my, my time on the board, the best decisions were the least bad decisions that we had. There, there, there were no good decisions on the table for us during, during COVID. We, we did the best with what we could. Um, and in the end, it, I, honestly, it, I, I was grateful that I got to be there for that part of it because that's, that's an important part of service. And at that point, you're you're making these difficult decisions, but then things got even more complicated because Des Moines Public Schools made a plan and Governor Reynolds decided that she did not like the plan that Des Moines Public Schools and, and some other districts had made. And she changed the rules, saying that uh, the school could not entirely be online, um, which is what the Des Moines School District had decided. This became something of, at least from an outside outsider's perspective, a power struggle uh, in the state. What was that like? It was, it was, it was no fun at all. Um, I became an elected school board member, never having ever raised my hand to swear testimony in a court and left uh, having had to do so twice um, because of those last couple of years. And, um, you know, nobody chose to, uh, to take on the governor or, um, or to get into these, these, these contentious spaces. We just tried to act with our conscience. We tried to do what was best for our community. Um, and the thing that, the thing that the governor missed on all of that is we're local elected office holders. <laughs> even, even in times of lockdown, I would walk down the street and run into neighbors who would, talk to me about decisions that I was making on the school board. And I was responsive to them on a very, very, very local level, the most local level that we get. And, you know, agree or disagree, my phone number was right there. Folks would call me and I would talk to them. Um, and, you know, they could always, they could always petition me and my colleagues. And it made a difference. I, there were not so many people in this very large district that I couldn't hear them all out and really think of what the best solution would be in that time. So you felt like your power was undercut. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it, it was. And, um, you know, I think there's a there's a bigger question for Iowans, you know, is, is really, you know, what... You know how active do you want your state government to be, and and how much reliance do you want to have on your neighbors that are in school and city elected positions? Uh, they are so responsive to you uh, in a way that a governor cannot be. 
and you know uh, office that serves millions of people and has multi-million dollar election campaigns <laughs> you know we school board members most of them don't don't even run campaigns they just put their name on a ballot and go knock on doors with their neighbors uh i i feel like that's a pretty pretty responsive system and it's a it's a good system for the state and you don't necessarily want to have a pretty active uh, powerful state government running over some of those local decision makers. What would you say to someone who might consider running for school board now? Absolutely. Do absolutely. It? Yes, 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 absolutely. I I was so grateful that I got to serve for eight years. Uh, it, you know, I, I said earlier, I came in with all the romantic notions of what public service is going to be like, and I left with all of them. Um, it couldn't have been a a more fulfilling experience for me, and I, I couldn't be more grateful to the people that voted me in twice. Um, you know, you're you're going to get challenged, and and these are not easy times to be in public office. But if good people don't step up and raise their hand, um, then we get the system that we deserve, uh, and we should all take a turn and being in that hot seat and trying. And if anyone would ever want any help or counsel or support in making that decision, then look me up because I will, uh, I'll, I'll give you the good and the bad, but I'll, I'll end the conversation by telling you you should definitely run. Rob Barron, thank you so much. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thank you, Charity. Rob Barron, who served on the Des Moines School Board from 2013 through 2021. With me now is Dan Gutman. He was elected to the Urbandale School Board in a special election just this summer. He's an openly gay man with a son in the Urbandale schools. He's an elementary school teacher in a neighboring district. And the Urbandale School Board was one of those hot spots in the last couple of years with book challenges and attention and pressure from Republican state legislators, including State Senator Brad Zahn. And Dan is on the line with me now. Hello, Dan. Hi, Charity. Thanks for having me today. Well, thank you for being here. And so you looked at the situation with the school board. You saw that it was on fire and decided to run straight into the flames. <laughs> tell me tell me why you decided that you wanted to run and, and now. Yeah, well, you know, as a teacher and also a, a parent with a, with a child in the Urbandale School District, you know, I think many Iowans would agree that public education in our state is in crisis. Um, today's schools face multiple challenges, including academic underachievement, disruptive student behavior, and staffing shortages of every kind. You know, I think it's unacceptable that Iowa is no longer a leader among state education systems, and I and I believe our leaders in state government would agree with that statement. We don't, however, agree on the causes or solutions to this crisis. You know, I chose to serve on the, the school board because I honor the tough jobs our school staff do every day. Um, we need to give them the support they need to do those tough jobs they were trained and educated to do. You know, I believe all students, including our black, brown, LGBTQ+, and students in special education should have access to an education that prepares them for success. And, and I really want to ensure that the choices made by Urbandale schools begin with those thoughts in mind. You know, I, I also believe that, that all school boards in Iowa need to be better advocates at the state level and articulate the impact 
um, that proposed legislation supported by the governor and Republican lawmakers will have on kids and families. That That's why I chose to run. You know, I, I, I attended lots of school boards bef- meetings before I was on the board, um, you know, in opposition to, you know, banning books and, and showing our support for marginalized kiddos and teachers that are often demonized. Um, so I'm just happy to be on the other side of the table now. So when you were running, uh, there was opposition, vocal op- opposition to your candidacy from the Urbandale-based Moms for Liberty activists, for example, members of a politically active conservative nonprofit that claims to advocate for parents' rights in schools. Uh, during that election, um, that was that was pretty heated. What was that experience like? Well, um you know, there's, we need to confront, you know, the division and negativity, falsehoods and hate that are proposed by groups like, like Moms for Liberty. Um, really, we just tried to be the adults in the room. You know, a lot of, uh, during the campaign, I often had to draw on my experience from special education, you know, and de-escalating, deflecting situations that got negative. You know, in, in my classroom, I'm not going to use loaded language. So I wouldn't respond in a negative way, uh, but I but I would be very clear about where my boundaries were, um, clear around what my expectations are for the people that I'm interacting with, and, and really you know make sure that myself and, and folks working on my campaign acted with integrity, and really had conversations and spoke in a manner that you know they were they would be comfortable having their grandmother here. Um, really, that's what we focused on the issues. We we focused on areas that we could find consensus. Um, I, I think really so many so many folks in Urbandale and so many people in Iowa are ready to to, to move on um, from some of the divisiveness, um, some of the you know frankly you know childish behavior that that, that we see um, when people are interacting with school boards and, and talking about education in our state. School board positions are nonpartisan, and right now there seems to be a lot of partisanship in school board elections. How do you feel about that? Well, you know, schools, in an ideal world, school boards would be a nonpartisan position. You know, I, I would argue that, 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 that throughout history there have been times when um, the political discourse makes its way into the schools and schools have a role in um, advancing um, a progressive democratic society. Um, schools didn't make schools political, school boards political. A lot of that's driven from our state legislature and, and the policies supported by our governor and, and Republican lawmakers. Um, teachers are well-trained. They're educated professionals, um, trained well to do the jobs that they do. Um, kids want to learn. Um, kids don't typically hate each other unless they're taught otherwise. Um, I, I don't. I, I agree that that schools, unfortunately, have become politicized. Um, but I, I you know, that's the way it is sometimes. Um, in the course of our history, when we're looking at civil rights, when we're looking at freedom of speech, freedom of expression, um, schools have schools have always been kind of on that line. What has it been like to be on the school board once you won that special election? Well, it's definitely a time commitment, and you know, I'm, I'm glad. I was glad to have the you know be a, be a teacher with the summer off and, and the time to to run a campaign. Um, definitely, it's a little bit of a shock once the school year begins, and I've got my uh, 
my paying job that I need to, to put focus in as well. Um, it, it, it's a lot of work and it's a lot of time commitment, um, but it's worth it. And I think it's necessary. And I think that that people who are willing to stand up for public education, stand up for, for our vulnerable kids, um, stand up for teachers, um, we need to get more involved or or uh, we're gonna we're gonna be in a worse spot in our schools than we already are. What are your hopes for the future? I mean, does it feel like things have cooled down a little bit, at least for the time being? Um, I don't anticipate things cooling down for for too much longer. Unfortunately, um, we're already starting to um, get get wind of some of the uh, proposed legislation that will be coming out the next session. Um, we know that there's going to be another push to take public funds and move them to private institutions through a voucher program or, or however else our governor wants to label it. We know that um, legislators are unfortunately uh, going to prioritize attacking teachers, uh, attacking our vulnerable kids. Um, and so I, I, we may be, it may be the quiet before the storm right now. Um, but I, but I, unfortunately, once the uh, once the the new legislative legislative session kicks off um, next year, um, I think we're going to see a return to to some of the divisiveness that that we've seen the, the last couple of years. Dan Gutman, thank you so much for talking with me. Thank you again for having me. Talk of Iowa is a production of IPR News. Our producers are Caitlin Troutman, Danny Gear, and Samantha McIntosh. Our executive producer is Catherine Perkins. You can listen to our Talk of Iowa podcasts anytime. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.